Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, Ed Price, senior fellow uh, and former British trade official. He's at NYU right now. He joins us here. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Um, what do you expect to hear or what do you expect not to hear from the Federal Reserve chairman today? Thanks for having me on, guys. So what I expect not to hear is enough. Um, I don't think the Fed will hike today. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I don't think they will. But they really are behind the curve. And I think that all you really need there is two numbers. Unemployment, 3.9% in December. CPI inflation, 7.1% in December. Um, so both policy conditions and supply conditions are inflationary. And I think that what they really need to do is hike and hike quickly. What do you think about the kind of inflation that we're seeing? I was just looking through your CV and saw that you uh, studied economics as well as German history. So you have the um, right. Hooper inflation perspective um, from the Weimar Republic. Are we are we looking at anything that even compares to the 80s, let alone the uh, the 80s in America, let alone the 20s in uh, Germany? That's a very interesting question. I, no, I don't think so necessarily. Um, German inflation in the 1920s was obviously driven out of a world war. Uh, Germany was cut off from capital markets. Germany printed its own money. We know that story and we know how it ended. Um, but what we are doing now is finally undoing the post-2007 financial crisis policy response. Um, that's massive, right? I mean, the question is, how quickly can you and should you shrink a $9 trillion balance sheet? Um, so there are going to be unintended consequences. I don't think we're going to see hyperinflation. Um, but the, it, you know, the debate about whether inflation is persistent or transitory is, is very much finished. It's persistent. So... Ed, you mentioned, and others have as well, that the Fed is behind the curve, behind the market. What makes you say that, number one? And number two, is that a bad thing? I think it's a bad thing. Um, I think it's a bad thing because if the Fed is behind the curve and it has to start hiking, um, it will it probably have to hike higher and faster than it's previously indicated. So, you know, we have Jamie Dimon talking about six, even seven. And we have at the other end um, some market commentators and policymakers talking about three. Um, and I think what we're really seeing here is that the, the monetary policy needs of markets are essentially now at odds with the monetary policy needs of the real economy. Um, so if I may, I would describe what the Fed is doing as a triple mandate. OK, so stable prices, that's not going very well. Full employment, that is. But this kind of third amorphous concern, which is financial stability, um, that really needs low rates and that needs QE to continue. Of course, we can't do that. So I think they're behind the curve, not just on this uh, inflationary cycle, but I think that they're behind the curve of pulling out of the post-2007-8 uh, policy response. Before we get, uh, before we run out of time, I want to ask you about the Ukraine-Russia situation, because you've advised governments and parliaments in Europe and, and uh, the UK, and I just was wondering to myself this morning, how much money does Western Europe pay Vladimir Putin every month? You know, like, what, what's, what's their gas bill? They, they can't really um, sanction him if they need to buy his stuff and give them their money. Right. I mean, honestly, I'm a bit more concerned about gas prices at home. 
um, than I am. <laughs> For <abroad>. sure. <laughs> right. Um, well, well, and that's another reason, um, Ed, that they can't really do much about it. Who knows, right? I mean, money is obviously a part of the international um, system. Um, monetary relations are a part of the international system. I think, for me, Ukraine is is a distant issue. Right now, I'm looking at home. I'm thinking about what the Fed is doing and, as you said in your introduction, not doing. So if we get our house in order at home, I think the dollar standard in the U.S. will be in a better position to act abroad in any number of areas. So, Ed, what, what is your economic outlook for 2022? I mean, it seems like things are generally in pretty good stead right here. And, you know, the, the statistics we see on, on the pandemic are also trending in the right direction. How optimistic are you for 2022? So I think if you, it's weird, right? Because if you look at the numbers, um, it does seem like this is a good economy, right? Um, at the same time, if you look at sentiment and if you look at, um, you know, people responding to polls about how their life is going, how their wallet's going, uh, people seem a bit more gloomy. So my take on all of this is we're actually okay. We're coming out of the out of the pandemic, um, but again, back to the Fed, back to inflation. Uh, if we don't get this right, if we don't get pulling out of accommodation right, we could disrupt the real economy, and we could actually disrupt the real economy through market events. So I think you know we're in sort of possible correction territory already. Obviously, we saw a rally on the back of stocks, but I, I can see that happening again and again um, as the Fed pulls out of this of this low rate environment. So you know that could lead back into the real economy, and it could disrupt what has otherwise been a pretty good recovery. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Ed Price there, non-resident senior fellow at the NYU Center for Global Affairs. All right, we have rates rising. Um, Coming into this year, a lot of strategists, fund managers said, get ready for volatility. And boy, were they right. Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management, joins us. Robert, the f- first two days of this week, what do you make of the volatility we saw in trading in the, in the last couple of days in these equity markets? It certainly has been a very volatile time. I think you're right. A lot of us have been looking for that to happen. It's been somewhat overdue. Uh, in my view, it's that we're going through a number of different transitions. So I think we're transitioning out of a unidimensional market, meaning everything was all about COVID for a long while. Uh, We've moved beyond that. It's now a much more multifaceted story. Um, I think we're in an era of transition in some of the data as well, uh, also partly related to Omicron and and a real focus on second derivative in terms of growth rate of the economy uh, and what's going on with inflation. And then lastly, of course, we have a a big transition uh, from the Fed in terms of their policy going from very easy to perhaps gliding into neutral here uh, today or soon, and then uh, perhaps tightening a bit and being more restrictive with rates. So all of that, I think, has gotten investors sort of back to basics in terms of exiting this sort of easy one-dimensional economy and market and back to focusing on things like earnings and a lot of the more complicated stories that are going on in the market today. Ben, Bloomberg Intelligence uh, is bullish, the earnings picture. Gina Martin-Adams yesterday, um, our chief equity strategist, said she sees 15% earnings growth this year. Did you hear that? Yeah, that's a lot higher than I think the consensus, which is High like eight or yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. Um, w- w- what do you see in terms of earnings growth this year? And are you concerned that the Fed, you know, over tightens? Um, I talked to another economist, um, Rafaela Tenconi, this morning from ADA Economics. She said she expects the uh, Fed tightening cycle to push us into a recession next year. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I don't share that fear. I can see why, why folks have that expectation. I mean, I think the Fed is focused on a couple of things here, and the market has been laser-focused on the inflation part of the, of the Fed mandate and what's going through the, the Fed's mind. Um, but I think they're also, of course, focused on the economy and jobs. I been very clear in emphasizing wanting to get people back to work and having a supportive economy. Uh, and the Fed, you know, has, has also been uh, very, em- very much emphasizing the need to restore some policy flexibility. So I think it's not all about inflation for the Fed. It certainly uh, seems like it in the heat of the moment here. But I think they, they will be accommodative enough to keep the economy growing so that people get back to work. And I think that feeds into that earnings picture that you referenced. I'm also uh, optimistic on earnings, perhaps uh, not quite as much as the, as the double-digit numbers that you were just talking about. Part of that concern coming from uh, how margins are managed. But I, I am optimistic on the earnings front. Uh, and for stocks as well. I'll tell you one thing we haven't had to deal with it just most recently in the last several years is geopolitical risk. And we think about the Ukraine and Russia. That really came front and center, it seems like, on Monday morning. Boy, what are investors to do there? Do you, do you just have to put that on back burner and just ignore it? Or is that real? Well, I, I think the typical playbook is to say, to, to put it on the back burner, usually when you look back historically at these types of conflicts, uh, there is a, a short-term negative reaction, but tends to not be too disruptive over the longer haul. Uh, as you mentioned, it came at a, at a very tenuous time for markets when there's a lot going on in this transition that we're going through. And so I think it was more of a shock than usual. So I do think that played a role uh, here as well in terms of the, the downdraft that we've seen earlier this year. All right, Robert, thanks so much for joining us. Robert Teeter there is a head of investment policy and strategy group. Great to get uh, your voice, your insight on uh, this as we wait for the Fed meeting. Hope we can get you back on um, soon as well from Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategy group. No, oh, Larry, I'm not. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, Larry go. Landman's I've here. Got the wrong thing on my screen. We've been talking about him for the past 20 minutes. You, you hit Laird, it thanks so much for joining us. What do you expect from Jerome Powell today? Well, I'll say the soccer football thing, it's good that that's been resolved. So I was happy to hear that. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry I missed breakfast. I certainly could have used it. Uh, on, on, the, on the Powell thing, I, I think it's a really unusual environment we find ourselves in. I think that they'll come out and. Uh, be moderately hawkish, looking at possibly four hikes this year. Mm. Is that going to be enough? I don't know. I mean, if we throw away all that, uh, all this modern finance stuff we've learned in the last 30 years about forward rates, et cetera, if you buy the two-year today um, and you look at where inflation really is, you're locking in uh, what would seem to be a pretty poor real return. I don't think we've seen in real time this type of poor real returns um, in a long time. Um, and so I just wonder if we're being a little blasé and thinking that um, we're going to raise rates and we're going to get to the point where inflation is really going to roll over and the types of implied inflation rates you're seeing in tips, you know, to getting down to 2.2 percent once we get past two or three years is really going to be a realistic sort of outlook. Uh, so I, we have concerns. Right. Matt, you know, Laird's got his MBA from the University of Chicago, and they're pretty good with I numbers. I love the freshwater economists. I mean, they they are into the numbers. Laird, what numbers do you think this Federal Reserve is really focusing on here? Well, I, I wish I knew that. Uh, I, if I was them, I would be focusing on uh, sort of the impulse in inflation um, and the fact that uh, probably statistically you could prove out that the amount of conversations that people are having about 
real raises being negative, even though you're seeing, you know, four or five percent raises out there in the economy uh, and people still negotiating for more. Once you get that embedded in the process, inflation becomes a little bit harder of a, uh, of a phenomenon to beat down. And I think that we're used to 30 years of the Fed, quote, having this dial and being reasonably in control mm-hmm. of this. Uh, and I think we're in a new environment. I think the, the frog's been in the pot of water for 30 years. Uh, and there's a chance that water is boiling as it relates to inflation. And we don't realize it at this point. What do you expect in terms of, um, you know, corporate earnings in terms of the corporate economy? And are we still looking at um, decent growth? Uh, we hear high digit singles, sig- sing- single um, numbers in terms of the consensus. But Bloomberg Intelligence says even 15 percent this year. Uh, in terms of earnings growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, re- we're relatively sanguine um, on the uh, on the corporate side. Um, we are underweight uh, just on a duration basis. We believe the strategy for bond investors here is go with solid liquid companies that are going to have good earnings, uh, stay five years and in, except maybe in the banks where you can, you can, you can creep out uh, to 10 years because they've had a pretty substantial widening here uh, in terms of the amount you're getting compensated for that risk. Um, we don't expect that there's going to be any massive uh, right. disruption uh, on the corporate credit side. Uh, this yep. year, but uh, obviously there's a lot of wild cards out there. You guys mentioned Ukraine, yep. you got China, you got the semiconductor supply, right. you got a lot of things that could disrupt this economy. All right, Laird, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Laird Landman, generalist, portfolio manager, TCW's fixed income group. Well, during the pandemic, I think we've all done a lot more and i mean a lot more of e-commerce buying stuff we never thought we would buy on line um and so that you know the contact center calling up or emailing or texting to get some new information on a product or service you're buying that's kind of become the new storefront here so there's a lot of technology behind that louis sume joins us he's a ceo and founder of livevox that's a publicly traded company, NASDAQ traded, LVOX is your symbol. Louis, thanks so much for joining us here. Tell us about LiveVox. What do you guys do? How do you make the e-commerce, uh, or how do you, you participate in the e-commerce uh, platform? Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, appreciate that. Yeah, as you, as you said, a lot of uh, customers are doing more commerce online. It's just, it's just a new way of, uh, of life here. And, uh, and as a byproduct, some of the conversations that previously would have happened in a storefront now more or less are going to happen over the phone or happen via chat or happen via SMS. And, and so that makes the uh, uh, contact center operators have to change the way that they, uh, that they do business because they're getting more volume and they're getting more customers wanting kind of easy, routine matters to be handled quickly via chat or via email via SMS, but also with a seamless ability to get to an agent when, when it's a little bit more complex and a little bit more difficult. And that's what we're all about, is really giving them the technology for the simple, easy matters so that they can have a good experience, but also making it easy to get to the agent and have the agent really well positioned to help the customer uh, you know, once they get there. There is nothing worse than calling up um, a, a business or um, or 
or, or a store and getting an automated service, right? Am I right, Paul? I mean, when you get- Sure, like, absolutely. Uh, for your bank account, please enter, <laughs> yes. you know. Um, but I do love the uh, the new chat functions if they work well, and I love the ability to, you know, call me back instead of waiting. Um, you must need a lot of actual humans for that, though, right? Like flesh and blood people. Well, it's a combination. I mean, you know, you got to, um, you know, you got to, address both you know you got to be able to do the quick and easy stuff um online and via sms and via chat i mean when you go in a lot of our clients are in the banking industry and when you go in and check a balance uh check your your checking account uh look at payment status i mean you 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 want that to be quick and easy and then of course if you're thinking about refinancing your mortgage you probably have more questions and so at that point you want to talk to an agent and you want that agent to be knowledgeable and you want that agent to know you and so you think about that's pretty wide array of technology, right? You got the chatbots and the virtual assistants helping you out with the quick and easy, but then that agent has to be empowered with a rich set of tools to help them be able to quickly and easily answer your questions when you get to the agent. Now you were running tele. Were you were you running a telehealth service before this? I mean, is this how you got um, your start in this line of service? Yeah, actually, we started off uh, over 20 years ago in the in the healthcare sector, and we were, uh, you know, helping doctors and helping physicians uh, help the patients uh, with, you know, more administrative uh, clinical matters and things like that. But yeah, that's exactly where we started. But, but I mean, I imagine the last two years have been just phenomenal growth for you. Absolutely. I mean, it's just driving a lot of demand for contact center services. And at the same time, the contact centers are really struggling to hire people. I mean, there's a, everybody knows there's a labor shortage out there and that applies to contact centers as well. So, you know, they've got this, this pressure to add new technologies because that's what the consumers expect, right? I mean, consumers expect a easy digital experience when it's a small routine matter and they expect to seamlessly get to a agent when it's more complex matter. And if you don't give them that, it doesn't really reflect well on your brand, and so it can it can hurt you. Louis, what's kind of the next iteration of customer service? Um, you know, it used to be you dial up a phone and get a live human being, and then obviously we went to a lot more of the digital uh, interfaces. What's the next level? Do you think? Well, I think I think we're really scratching the surface on um, on a lot of the technology that's been deployed. I mean, we all know as consumers that what I'm describing in terms of, you know, quick and easy and then seamlessly get to an agent when you want it and that agent knows you. I mean, that exists sometimes, but it, more often than not, it doesn't happen that way. So there's just tremendous opportunity to make these tools, the digital, the AI, the chatbots, the virtual agents, and all those things just work better. And that's really where we're focused on. And in our our, our focus here is really to leverage the cloud to make it work better because it, it's complex technology and, and deploying it from the cloud can make it a lot simpler and that's really the challenge is making this stuff kind of just fulfill uh, its promise how far away are we from a digital ai chatbot that works because i could say <laughs> as somebody i've just moved here um, from berlin so i'm shutting down all my financial services in germany and opening up financial services here and you know, the, the main reason to get a private banker is because none of these, you know, Capital One or uh, Chase or Bank America, the chatbots have no idea what I'm <laughs> saying, whether it's in English, Spanish or German. I've tried everything. Yeah. Look, I, I think people have to be um, practical. 
skeptical about how they adopt technology. You can't expect the virtual agents and the chatbots to do too much. You know, you've got to use them well, but then you also got to quickly get to an agent when it's beyond their capability. And and I and I think there's a, is a little bit of a tendency for people to like say, oh wow, AI, 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 and just like fall in love with the technology and then ask it to do more than it can do. And and that's really not the best approach. Hey Louis, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Louis Sume, CEO and founder of LiveVox, again at Nasdaq traded company LVOX uh, on Go on your Bloomberg terminal there. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.